Good morning, Masters University. Good to have you back, and I know some of you are excited. Others of you are going to need to recover from your recovery week. You're tired coming back. Some of you have driven a long way, and it's good to hear we're six weeks from home. I know it's been a great year. I know God's done some great things in you. I'm excited about what uh, he's doing in so many dimensions of our university that I get to be a witness of. But I'm hopeful that these last six weeks, you'll maximize them. And my message for you today, and if you'll take your Bible and turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, is about giving your all for the one who is all. You know, our theme this year is Christ is all. And there will be some of us that are tempted to slow down, even give up, because of the difficult challenges that lie ahead. And in these last weeks... Some of you will fly smoothly, and some of you will be severely challenged, and that's not just about your education or your academic track. Some of you are going to go through some things that are going to test the waters of your life. And I'm going to invite you back to a text that I preached from a year ago, and I want to take a little different perspective on it. And this message is, so you will hold up and so that you will step out, truth for tough times. When the going gets tough, this is a discipleship lesson for the children of God who want to fulfill and realize the purposes of God through difficult seasons, through what I'm going to call the crucible of life. Crucible is a a melting pot where the dross, the, the alloy that is not precious is burned off. And one of the things that difficult seasons do is it refines you. It tests and it challenges you and it reveals things not only about you, but about God that are unrivaled and unequaled in any other category. So this is a section of Scripture that has become one of my favorite discipleship passages. And what I want to do today is cultivate in you not just a confident heart and a great big God who is everything he claims to be, but I want to challenge you to have a steadfast heart, to hold up when it's difficult, and to step out when it seems like that's the last thing that you would do. Let's read the Bible together. This is Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. Contextually, this is training time. Jesus has called his 12 disciples. They're going through a season of significant, intensive training. They've been taught, and they're learning both through life and through the teaching of the Master. Verse 45 follows the feeding of the 5,000, a lesson meant to teach the disciples, I can do a lot with a little. I can do a lot with a little. Your responsibility is to give what you have and watch me do what you can't do, the feeding of the 5,000, a lesson about the capacity of the one who is all. Verse 45, and immediately, this is after the feeding of the 5,000, and immediately he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the multitude away. And after bidding them farewell, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land, and seeing them... 
straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night. He came to them walking on the sea. And this key phrase, which is core to this whole section, and he intended to pass by them. Verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were frightened. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. They were greatly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. Another key phrase but their heart was hardened. This section of Scripture is meant to reveal foundationally things about Jesus, which is what we talked about a year ago. This is a lesson to reveal the character and nature of Jesus that they had not received yet because their heart was hardened. Despite an abundance of evidence, the calming of the winds and the waves in the past, Mark 4. Mark 5, the releasing of a demoniac. Mark 5, the healing healing of a woman with a hemorrhage of blood. Twelve years, nobody could heal her, Jesus did. Or the 12-year-old daughter of a synagogue official that Jesus raises from the dead. The feeding of the 5,000. They had not learned what was essential for them to learn, which is what we talked about last time, is Jesus Christ is God. He can do anything that God can do. He is sovereign. He is divine, miraculously capable of doing things that only God can do. And this passage says, not only can I do what God can do, I do see, I do care, and I do come. Even if it's the darkest part of the night, even if you're three to four miles out into the waters of the Sea of Galilee, I do see, I do care because I see you straining at the oars, and I will come. I will leave my private time with the Father in order to come support and to rescue. And beyond that, I'm going to reveal myself to you as the one who can and as the one who cares. That was the lesson last time. And I want you to imagine by way of Maybe the context. Imagine yourself at a debriefing meeting with the master after this event where he passes by on the water revealing his glory because that's what it means. He doesn't, it's not that he doesn't care about them. He wants to put on overt display his divine capacity. I want you to imagine the debrief meeting afterward. He's now talked about who he is and what they need to see about him, which is core and foundational to following Christ. And now he wants to turn the lens not about himself, but about them. Lessons, discipleship lessons, to be learned about them. Key lessons to be learned. Imagine Jesus looking at his disciples or looking at you, having read this story or having lived this story. Key lessons to be learned about you and for you. Things that you need to know about yourself. Things that are cardinal and critical, statements I want to make to you, and encouragements that I want to give to you. When it seems hopeless, when you seem, when it seems that you're helpless, when you feel helpless, when you're in challenging places in life, when you feel like you're giving all you've got and you're going nowhere, what would the master want you to know lesson-wise, truth for tough times, to sustain you? So you'll hold up. 
so you won't give up. So you will step out in difficult seasons. Five lessons I want to offer this morning. Truth for tough times, lessons for life, lessons from the one who is all so that you will give your all. Statement he would make. When you obey, imagine him looking at you and saying to you, when you obey, it is not always easy. When you obey, it is not always easy. And an encouragement he would give, disciple of mine, don't quit. Keep rowing. We begin with a perspective and a truth that combats what is a very natural human propensity. A propensity, a common conviction or belief that if it's hard, I must be out of God's will. This is too hard. This is too much resistance. If it's this hard, I must be on the wrong path. This truth is meant to address what disciples tend to think And that is that if we obey God, our life will be easy, that obeying guarantees smooth sailing and effortless advance. We tend to believe that if it's hard and no progress is evident or success imminent, we are not in God's will. When it's dark and hard, we tend to believe that we are not tuned in to His intention. We're out of step with His plan. Here's a fact. They, the disciples, were exactly where they were supposed to be. Notice verse 45. He made his disciples get into the boat. That's a command. He confirmed that command, verse 46, after bidding them farewell, which is to say goodbye. It's not like, hey, fellas, where are you going? But rather, he's commanded them to get into the boat. He's confirmed his intention that they get into the boat and row to the other side. They're exactly where they were commanded to be. That was confirmed by his comment. And yet, when they're in the boat, and they're in the middle of the night, and the storm is raging, the oars are difficult to pull, their muscles are fatigued and burning. Literally, the word straining means to be tormented. It's a really hard time. They're rowing for all they're worth. They're going nowhere. Here's a truth you need to own. You can be in the center of God's will, and it can be really hard. Don't quit. If God said it, if God confirmed it, Stay with it. There are a plethora of places in life, a lot of places where you will be tempted to say, man, this is hard. I think I'll quit. Whether you're an athlete, whether you're a student, hey, whether you're married, because marriage can be really hard. I tell the couples that I counsel before they're married, the very first thing we're going to do is talk about how you know that this is what God wants. Because I have heard it multiple times, we should have never gotten married. Implication, well, if it wasn't God's will, then we can get out. We can correct 
the mistake we made. Why? Because it's hard. It's not what I thought it would be. It's way more difficult than I imagined. Hey, this is not working out. I, was, I came to the Master's University thinking this, and it's been tough. It's been everything but what I hoped it would be. I came here expecting to play. I'm not playing at all. Did God say it? Did God confirm it? Stay with it. Here's a statement I hope you remember. You measure decisions by how you make them, not by their result. You never know what God is wanting to do. A hard season doesn't mean you're out of God's will. I want you to encourage you, if it's a difficult time, remember, look back. Reflect on what God called you to, how He confirmed that, and resolve to stay with it. Remember the Apostle Paul in Acts 19 said, I've got to go to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, 19.21 says, Paul purposed by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He said, then I must see Rome. And then in Acts 21, he spends seven days in, outside of Ephesus, and everybody says, don't go, don't go, don't go. He goes to another city, and Philip the evangelist, one of the esteemed seven, comes to him and says, don't go. And then Agabus, a prophet, shows up and binds him with his own belt and said, if you go, you're going to be bound. Don't go. And then Luke, his companion, unites in those collective voices and says, Paul, don't go. He's triple teamed. He's quadruple teamed. Even the people around him are saying, hey, this is not good. Paul said, I know what God said. Stop it. This is the will of God. I know it. I need to do it no matter what. Every disciple needs to have conviction because life will be hard. Ministry will be hard. You'll have setbacks and challenges. Did Jesus face resistance in obeying? The answer is yes. His family resisted him. Spiritual leaders resisted him. Sometimes his disciples resisted him. Sometimes the enemy resisted him. Did Paul face resistance in obeying? Yes. Does the church face resistance in obeying? Yes. Do missionaries face resistance in obeying? Yes. Do disciples like us, like you, face resistance? Yes. Did Israel face challenges in the wilderness? Double-walled cities, giants in the land? Yes. Opposition or lack thereof does not define God's direction in your life. If God said it, if God confirmed it, stay with it. Here's an interesting corollary. And by the way, even with Jesus in the boat, you may end up in a different place than you thought. I want you to notice something. Verse 45. He made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida. Do you see that? Bethsaida. That's northeast. So they're somewhere down in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and they're heading this way. When they get into the boat, they're rowing in that direction. They're not making it. It's the middle of the night. Verse 51, Jesus gets in the boat, the wind stops, 
verse 53, and when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesareth. Do you know where that is? That's, nor- that's northwest. Go here, but they end up there. If you go to the parallel passages, Matthew, when Jesus got into the boat, they immediately came to land. Here's what I derive from that. You don't end- always end up where you were headed, even with Jesus in the boat. Play it out. God will take you where He wants you to be. Stay with it and stay with Him. Disciples of mine, when you obey, it's not always easy. Encouragement, don't quit. Keep at it. Number two, the second truth for tough times, a second life lesson for us. Hard places have high purposes. Hard places have high purposes. When it's hard, I believe this is a statement he would make, when it's hard, it is so you can see me in a new, critical, and essential way. An encouragement that he would offer, look and learn. Hard places have a high purpose. The tone and flow of this passage reveals Jesus has a plan. He has a purpose from His command to them to depart to His intention to pass by. He is revealing that this is a training exercise. He's commanding them and He's intending to reveal Himself to them and to give them what is going to be a, for the rest of their life, foundational lesson. Here's a truth for you. There are some things you only learn in difficulty, when it's hard. And two of those things are obedience and trust. Anybody can obey when it's easy. Anybody can trust when you hardly have to paddle. But this is about learning the lessons that only come and are derived in difficult places. Jesus wants you to see Him in a way you've never seen Him. He wants to put on His nature on divine display. He wants to reveal Himself in a way that you did not know but need to know. Your difficult place is so that God can reveal God to you in the dark night of your soul. It's a season where He wants to reveal Himself to you, and He wants to reveal truth about you to you. He wants to reveal Himself, and He wants to refine you. Trials and hard times are meant to train you and to reveal God to you. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. I'm afraid that all of the grace that I have gotten by way of my comfortable, easy times and happy hours might almost lie on the head of a penny. In other words, it's a small thing. 
But the good I have received from my sorrows, pains, griefs, and challenges is altogether immeasurable, end quote. When it's easy, little grace. When it's hard, big grace, immeasurable grace. When it's easy, my view of God can be small. But when it's hard and God reveals himself in the midst of my difficulty in ways that I need to know, it's a bigger view of God. God puts himself on display in ways that you wouldn't imagine in difficult times. I, listen, Daniel chapter 3 is when Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego said, no, we're not going to bow down. Heat the fiery furnace up seven times, said Nebuchadnezzar. You will bow down. No, we won't bow down. They were placed into the flames. And those three obedient in a hard trial of life Learn something about God prior that they didn't know because Nebuchadnezzar looked at the fire and said, hey, didn't we put three men in the flames? How is it that I see four? And he calls out and one of them looks like an angel. And then he calls Meshach, and Shad Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego to come out of the flames. And they came out of the flames and they're their clothes did not smell like smoke. Their hair was not singed. And I will say this to you. Three obedient and a hard season young men learned something about God that they did not know. And that is his unique abiding presence. His sustaining and his protective power. Wouldn't you agree with me that in that season of sustaining grace and revelation of God in ways they hadn't known, can you imagine how that would have sustained them for the rest of their days in that hostile pagan world? Things you will learn about Jesus in the dark and the difficulty you will never learn in the sunshine of success. You will know him in the darkest places you have ever been in a way that you would not have known him any other way. Tony Snow, who was the White House press secretary for George W. Bush, was the chief speechwriter for George H.W. Bush, sometimes served as a host on the O'Reilly Factor, he was a syndicated columnist, CNN commentator, fighting terminal cancer. He said, they were born-again believer. He said this, quote, The art of being sick is not the same as the art of getting well. Some cancer patients recover, some don't. But the ordeal of facing your mortality and feeling your frailty sharpens your perspective about life. You appreciate little things more ferociously. You grasp the mystical power of love. You feel the gravitational pull of faith. And you realize that you've received a unique gift You've enlarged your field of vision in ways that others don't have. 
You learn the power of hope and you learn the limits of fear. You develop a firm set of convictions about what really matters and what does not. You learn about God and the things that matter the most. You learn the things that are most important in the crucible of life. I like this closing statement. There are things far worse than illness. Soullessness. When God works you through difficult places, it is for you. It is to reveal the most and richest expression of who he is that you have to know that you don't know. Which is why it's so encouraging when Paul besought the Lord three times. He begged, God, take this away, this thorn in my flesh. This is really hard. This is difficult. And when the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, it's enough. He makes this statement. I hope you'll never forget it. My power, my dunamis, my capacity is made perfect. Teleos, it reaches its fullest expression in your astheneo, when you have nothing. In other words, the fullest display of who I am and what I can do, the marvel and the mystery of my capacity, my character, and my nature, it's on its fullest display when you're the weakest. My power is made perfect in your weakness, which is why Paul went on to say, I'll glory in my weakness. I'll not just survive it or endure it. I'll embrace it. I'll promote it so that the power of Christ, the reality of Christ to us all is made obvious in me, to me, and through me. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Weakness, difficulty is the Savior's stage upon which he will reveal his greatest capacity. I think Jesus would say to you this morning, if you're in a difficult place, trials are for you so you can see me in a whole new way, so you can see your life in a whole new way, so you can see what you need to see in order to be what I've made you to be. Jesus learned obedience from the things that he suffered which made him fit to fulfill the purposes for which God called him. Hebrews chapter 5. Thirdly, third life lesson, truth for tough times. A statement I believe Jesus would make to his disciples, in difficult places, you are prone to not recognize me. In difficult places, you are prone to not recognize me. I think that's a statement he would make, and I think an encouragement he would give is look again, look harder. I will come, I do see, and I will comfort. In your humanity, you are prone to not see me as I'm walking past revealing myself. Disciples in tough places tend to miss my presence and my unrivaled capacity. Think of Luke 24 when the traumatized men, the disciples, were reflecting on what had just happened in Jerusalem. Jesus crucified, stories about his resurrection, and they're walking and contemplating, and 
this companion shows up and they walk with him and they never recognized him. Maybe you could say their circumstances kept them, distracted them. Their slowness of heart denied them from seeing him. The scriptures say in Luke 24, after Jesus had departed, at the end their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And earlier Jesus had said to them, O foolish men, slow of heart, why do you believe in what the prophets have said? Why don't don't you trust what I've already told you? You're allowing the circumstances to distract you. You're allowing, allowing the trauma to blind you. Why not believe the truth that has been declared to you from God's inspired Word? And why don't you realize when I'm with you that I'm with you? Remember, I will come for you. Remember that I will reveal myself to you. This is a lesson for every disciple. God does see. Jesus will come because Jesus cares. He will comfort with his presence. He got in the boat. He will comfort with his words, it is I. And he will comfort with his power. He calmed the storm. I want to ask a question. Why didn't they see him? Well, verse 52 says, because chapter 6, because they didn't learn anything from previous experience. Because they had not learned from what had already happened. Jesus' commentary, you hadn't gained any insight because your heart was hard. The word hard means bone hard, like boneheaded, hard-hearted. It comes from a word which means petrified. Man, you're a, you're, your heart, head's hard. You're hard-headed. You should know this by now. Look over at chapter 7. Where 4,000 are fed. Seven loaves and a few fish feed 4,000 and then some. And they're leaving, verse 13, the crowd and the multitude. And he again embarked and went away to the other side. So we have a very parallel scenario. Six has happened, 5,000 fed, the boat, Jesus passing by, the water calm, that whole experience already gotten. Now we're feeding, God's revealing, they're seeing, they're embarking to the other side. Verse 14, and they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. Now listen, is that going to be a problem? It shouldn't be a problem. Not if seven loaves can feed 4,000. Not if a few loaves and a few fishes can feed 5,000 and women and children. That should not be a problem. Verse 15, and he was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He's trying to give them instruction in a different category. Verse 16, and they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. They're fixated. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see? 
It's a word from, why don't you use your head? Why don't you use your mind? Do you not get it or understand? That's a word for intelligence. Why don't you use your head? Why don't you think? Do you not understand? You have a hardened heart. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? And they said to him, 12. And then I broke the seven for the 4,000. How many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not get it? Don't you understand? Why didn't they understand why didn't they see what they should have seen in difficult places we're prone to not recognize him number one because we haven't learned from all the previous times he's revealed himself to us I think you would say this morning disciple of mine when it's tough when you're rowing for all you're worth it's in the middle of the night you're going nowhere your arms are aching your mind is tortured and tormented when it's tough and you want to quit Will you please look back and be reminded of all the times I've revealed myself in the past? And will you look for me in the present? I may not come exactly when you want at the time you expect, and I think that's the other reason why they didn't see him. I believe it's not because he was, he was weird or he looked weird or he was dressed like Casper. I think it's because he came in a way they had not expected at a time they did not expect it. They didn't learn anything past tense from all of the seasons of revelation, times God showed up, and now in this season, He didn't come at a time they thought in a way that He thought. Listen, Jesus does not tend to show up in ways you would expect. He tends to show up in ways you would not expect and when you don't expect it. He will come. That's the point of this passage. Because he does see. And because he sees them straining at the oars, he comes in comforts. Look again. Look harder. He will come. I was uh, out in Ventura a couple of weeks ago getting a rear tire put on Parker's motorcycle. And while I was waiting for them to put the tire on the motorcycle, I'm wandering around the showroom looking at the new stuff that uh, BMW has been making, and this man arbitrarily walks up to me and begins to talk about motorcycles. And it's, it's like a community. Motorcyclists, it's kind of a fraternity. It's like hunters, and you just, you just instantly connect. And out of nowhere, he's talking to me about the bike we're looking at, and then he asked me uh, what I ride, and what brought me to the store, and I told him that I was getting a rear tire replaced for my son, and he said, well, why didn't he bring it? I said, well, he struggles with chronic pain, and, and I, it's early in the morning, and that's a tough time for him, and so I brought it down to help him out, and he said, what kind of pain does he have? And we talked a little bit about that, and he said, hey, I'm from Central California. I just happened to be visiting today, and I'm a manufacturer of a product that is used for pain relief, and the largest dealer for that distributor, retailer, in Los Angeles is a friend of mine. And he's in Orange County, and I can't remember exactly the name of the product, but 
I'll text him to find out what it is that it's been so helpful to so many people that struggle with chronic pain. And I said, wow, I said, that, yes, you, 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 yeah, I manufacture and this guy retails. And I said, sure. So he texts his buddy. His buddy comes back and says, get this. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, oh, and this is where you get it in your area. You don't have to come all the way to Orange County. So I go to that distributor, that retailer, and I walk in and I ask for the product and the store says, hey, Tony's here today. He's rarely ever here. He has a heart for people like this. He'll help you. Two weeks ago, in a way that I never expected, God provided something I needed in a way that I didn't expect it at a time when it was most helpful. Because look, you know, until recently, Southern California hasn't looked like Southern California. Right? It's cold, rainy. That's hard on us. Man, I was rejoicing last week. I got off a plane in Nebraska last weekend. It was 21 degrees and 30 mile an hour winds. What are you people doing living in Nebraska? I got home and I wanted to kiss the ground. God, thank you for California. Cold, rainy weather for people with chronic pain exacerbates their pain. We've been struggling with that. And at a place that you wouldn't expect, now I'm not talking about a croissant, this guy's name was Peter Hess, and this is not Jesus. This is an agent of God doing the work that God does for his disciples when they need him. I'm not talking about a Christophany. I'm not talking about a theophany. I believe the point is that Jesus will come when we need it, when we least expect it, in a way we wouldn't anticipate it, through his appointed agents for his divine sovereign purposes. I mean, if you want to look at another place, Acts 18, Paul had preached the gospel. He was being blasphemed and resisted by the Jews. He says, I'm out of here. I'm taking my message to the Gentiles. God appears to him that night and says, hey, don't be afraid any longer. Implication, you have been fearful. This is hard. You're facing massive resistance. Hey, don't be afraid anymore. I am with you. And then he says this, Paul, I have many people in this city. It's not just me. It's the people that I send. He spent 18 months preaching the gospel in a hostile environment. He didn't quit. He didn't give up because God revealed God to him at a time he didn't expect it in a way he wouldn't have anticipated it. And part of that message is, not only am I with you, I've got people who will support you. Have you ever been surprised by God? Have you ever felt like you didn't see him? Until you look back later in the unique ways he served and helped. Number four. Fourth life lesson. Truth for tough times. A lesson for you. A statement he would make. I think he could say to his disciples and to us, you are prone to misunderstand and fear which should bring you hope and help. You are prone to misunderstand and fear what should bring you hope and help. 
And I think the encouragement he would give is don't be afraid. I take that from the end of verse 50. Look at verse 50, Mark 6. For they all saw him and they were frightened. They all saw him and they were frightened. They supposed, verse 49, it was a ghost. Now, you need to know culturally, ghost was not like a a positive thing. It was an adversarial spirit. It was evil. They thought this was an adversary coming. They thought this was trouble coming. They were frightened because of what they thought he was. I think Jesus would say potentially, because I, don't li- because I don't look like you expect, because I come at a time you don't expect, because the winds are howling and your strength is failing, you are likely to not only fail to recognize me, but feel fear because of me. In trauma and in chaos and fatigue and confusion, we are prone to fear, not faith. We tend to see things as the proverbial oncoming train and not the light at the end of the tunnel. Listen, if you want to write a reference, Luke 24, when Jesus appears in the upper room after his resurrection, because his disciples don't expect him, because of the challenge of their faith regarding him, Luke 24, 36, and while they were telling these things, talking about what they had seen and heard, he himself, referring to the resurrected Christ, stood in their midst. And they were startled and frightened, and they thought they were seeing a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, your, do doubts arise in your heart? You know why? Because you don't expect me. You're not looking for me. Disciples must not only believe I'm coming, but they must also recognize that what they don't understand may be me walking toward them and working for them. I think Jesus would say I'm mysterious, but I'm not unfaithful. I am unpredictable, but not absent. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed of what you don't understand. Look, if God can use evil to do good, he can help you in ways you wouldn't imagine. Don't be afraid, even though you don't understand. Let me invite you to Matthew chapter 14 for a final point. There are three passages, John 6 and Matthew 14, that tell this story. What's interesting to me is the Gospel of Mark is called Peter's Gospel. Mark is the amanuensis, the scribe. He's the colleague of Peter who is the writer of the Gospel of Mark. But almost everybody believes Peter was the source of the stories. And Mark was the writer of what Peter had been telling him. But there's something absent, strangely absent in what many call Peter's gospel, the gospel of Mark. And that's what Matthew wrote about. And I want you to notice what's added in Matthew that Matthew told that Peter didn't tell. Same story, same context, fourth watch of the night, verse 25 
And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking upon the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. They were shaken. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now this is what is in Matthew's gospel, his discipleship album, maybe an installment that you wouldn't have expected. Verse 28, And Peter answered him, Jesus, and said, Lord, if it is you, literally since it's you, it's a first-class condition. Command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt Let me ask you a question. Why do you think Peter didn't add that? Why do you think he didn't say, hey, Mark, write this? Could it be that Peter was more focused on his moments of sinking and failing than he was on the moments of miraculous walking? We tend to focus on our failure. How many people have walked on water? How many people have walked on water that weren't God? One. Now, he didn't walk long, but he's the only one who walked on water. And I think the statement that Jesus would make and the encouragement he would give would sound like this. In the toughest of times, by faith, you can do the humanly impossible. You can do the normally unnatural. Keep your eyes on me. In the toughest of times, by faith, you can do the humanly impossible, the normally unnatural. The encouragement he would give, keep your eyes on me. You can not only hold up, you can step out. You can do the impossible. You can do what human beings can't do by faith. Peter is an example of possibility as it relates to you keeping your eyes on Jesus and living in a way that honors him in the midst of the storms of your life. Let me give you five things to think about if you want to do the extraordinary. Now, I'm not talking about the the thrill of the miraculous. I'm talking about the life that's extraordinary. I'm talking about living truth and commands obeyed. I'm not talking about thrill-seeking. I'm talking about extraordinary living. We're in a thrill-seeking culture. I had some guys in my church that for fun would go out and get on the tops of buildings and jump into bushes. The higher the building, the greater the victory. I go, what is that? That's like foolish. Extreme sports. All of those adrenaline junkie moments. 
That's not this. It's not so I can have a spiritual thrill. It's not so that I can experience something that puts me on the outer limits of faith. This is about living in an extraordinary way that allows God to be God and allows you to do what only you can do with God for the glory of God. Five things if you want to live an extraordinary life of faith in difficult seasons. Number one, have a passion to want to be with Christ and share in what Christ is doing. Have a passion to be with Christ and to experience what Christ is doing. Notice the words, Lord, if it's you. First class condition, it's an emphatic statement, since it's you. Command me to come to emphatic you. The issue here is, and I'm not just thrilled about walking on the water. I want to be with you. Since it's you, I want to be with you, and I want to do what you're doing. I want to enter into what you're involved with. I want to know you. I want to experience you and your glory. I want to be with you. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what's at risk. Since it's you, I want to be with you even in the midst of this storm. I'm willing to get out of this boat in the midst of this time just to be with you. Number one, if you want to do an extraordinary thing for an extraordinary person for an extraordinary reason, have a passion to want to do it for him, to be with him and to be involved with what he's doing. Number two, have a call, a confirmed calling. Command me to come. Verse 29, he said, come. It's not presumptuous. It's a confirmation, a a confirmed calling, an invitation. Number three, have a compelling conviction. Have faith. Since it's you, Believe that He is who He says He is, that He can do what He says He can do. He's revealed Himself. He's declared Himself. It is I. Don't be afraid. Be of good courage. Since it's you, since you can do what you do because you're the way that you are, I have faith in you. I'm stepping out of the boat because I believe in you. It's not about me. It's about you. Look, He... After he sunk, Jesus said, why do you have such little faith? It's not like he had massive faith. He had faith to believe that Jesus was who he says he was. He didn't have an abundance of it because once he got distracted, he lost the ability to do the extraordinary, but he had faith. Number four, step out. Step out. Peter got out of the boat He didn't have a lot of faith. He had more than most. And he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. He stepped out. I don't have time to develop this today, but you remember when the children of Israel were crossing into the land of promise? Jordan was at flood stage. When did the waters part? When the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant dipped their foot into the water, the waters parted. Water parting and water walking both require God trusting. It requires stepping out in faith. 
the prerequisite for miraculous in life is the same as the prerequisite for the miracle to receive life, faith. Faith to step out, faith to believe God's promise, faith to, to respond to God's invitation. Remember Colossians 3.6, as you've received him, so walk in him. The secret to the miraculous in a Christian life, the extraordinary, is to live the same way you became a Christian. All in, believing God is what he, God does what God says he does. He is who he says he is. He fulfills his promise. You act on it. You live like it. You step out. Number five, keep your eyes on Jesus. Seeing the wind and the waves, he became afraid. The wind implies, seeing the wind implies he took his eyes off Jesus and becoming afraid meant he lost faith. Faith and fear are opposites. Becoming afraid means he lost his confidence in Jesus. He took his eyes off Jesus. Without faith, it's impossible to please God and to receive anything from God, and it's impossible to do anything extraordinary for God. The stage of your difficulty is the stage meant for His glory. The stage of your difficulty is the place where God is willing to enable you to do what otherwise you couldn't do, to bring glory to Him because you want to honor Him, enter into communion with Him, share in what He is doing. Faith is spiritual common sense. Doubt is irrational if He is who He claims to be. Peter was as dependent on Jesus when he was walking on the water as when he was sinking. When he said, Lord, save me, it required the same faith as to keep his eyes on Jesus. All right, let me conclude with this statement. Wherever you are, however hard it becomes, remember this. You can make it. And you can do more than you think. Because he is who he says he is. And he can do what he says he can do. And you can do more than you ever imagined. Rest in him, look for him, don't miss him, and keep your eyes on him. Six weeks, let God be God. Father, thank you for the time today. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for your grace today. Thank you for revealing Jesus to us today. And thank you for helping us as your disciples to align our thinking with the truth that sustains us and mobilizes us. I pray for these young men and women that they'll finish well and that they'll live an extraordinary season for your honor and glory.